last week, I started to preach a message entitled Proclaiming Christ. And I shared with you that there are six shifts that we need to make in order to truly proclaim Christ with weight and with authority. And the six shifts that I covered were a shift in citizenship. Do you remember that? Then there's a shift in assignment. Then there's a shift in association. Then there's a shift in what you confront. And then there's a shift in what you do, how you respond to situations. Then there's also a power shift. And I said to you that this Sunday, I'll be covering six other shifts. So are you ready? I want you to know this morning that it's one thing to proclaim Christ. It's another thing to proclaim him with weight and with authority. I mean, if you want to be a person of power, a person of influence, a person that makes a difference in their nation. A scripture that I really like is Luke chapter 9, verse 26. And I want to use this by way of introduction. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, if, if anyone is ashamed of me and of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory. That's a very significant statement that Jesus is making. Very significant. Because the converse is true. Whoever is not ashamed of me and of my words, they will experience my glory. Amen? So there's a link between the degree to which you express and proclaim Christ and the glory of God that you experience in your life. How many of you know that in order for us to do certain things in the nation, we need to minister from a place of his glory? What do I mean by his glory? If you study scripture, it's the word kabod, and it means heavy. It means weighty. Okay, the glory of God. Another word for glory in scripture is shekinah. That's the brilliance, the radiance of God. And there are times when you can minister just like an ordinary person who's a believer, or there are times you can minister from his glory. There's an acceleration when you minister from his glory. Amen? There are things that happen that ordinarily don't happen. And so every believer should be saying, I want to proclaim Christ. I'm not ashamed of Jesus and I'm not ashamed of his words. What's the difference? There's some people who are happy to say, hey guys, I'm a Christian. They're happy to say that, right? But they're ashamed of the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus here says, do not be ashamed of me and of my teachings. And he separates the two. Because you can have a thing where you're like, I'm a Christian. I don't mind being associated with Christ. But then you're ashamed of his teachings, especially the difficult ones. Hey, people think I'm too radical. Hey, people will think that I'm a wannabe. All right? So we want to proclaim Christ, but we want to do it with weight. We want to do it with authority. We want to do it with power. And I'm going to continue now on the next six shifts. So number seven, there is a shift in your love for the word. There's a shift in your love for the word. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11 to 12, the Bible says, Now the Berean Jews were more noble of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. This is very interesting. This is like saying the believers in Highfelt Centurion Go Church were of more noble character than the believers of London, England, such and such a church. That's, re that's basically what he's saying. Then we go a bit deeper. It says, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. 
So they were not examining the scriptures from a place of cynicism, from a place of doubt. It says they received the word with eagerness and they were described as people of noble character. How many of you, when it comes to your relationship with the word of God, are eager about it? How many of you can say to me, Paul, you know what? I eagerly desire to eat the word. I mean, if you can say, Paul, you know what? When you guys preach, I take that word and I examine it based on my understanding of the Bible. I go deeper into the study because I believe that God is trying to say something to me. When you're the type of person who has that type of relationship with the word of God, it's amazing what happens. There's power in your preaching. There's power in your proclamation of the word of God. And when I talk about preaching, I'm not talking about preaching from the pulpit. I'm talking about any kind of proclamation. Remember last week we spoke about what that word proclaim means, right? It's to announce something officially that needs to be obeyed. It's a very powerful word. It's something that a herald does. Someone who heralds some news, okay? There's an authority and there's a weight to it. So my question to you is, are you receiving the word with eagerness? And I see the difference in a church setting, hey? You have some people, they'll listen to a message and it's like, okay, it's all good. And then there are other people who dig deeper. How many of you can say this morning, Paul, I'm one of those, I dig deeper. I do my own study on the particular subject because I believe that this is coming from God, this message, and I know that I can dig deeper and apply it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for the following things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. My question to you this morning is, how are you using the word? Are you using the word for teaching? So when someone asks you a question, how do I do business God's way? Can you go to the word of God and use the word for teaching them how to do business God's way? Right? Because the Bible has got an answer for everything. Amen? Right? Um, It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. What is reproof? Reproof is correcting, adjusting someone, helping them to align based on God's word. Have you noticed that very often we try to correct people based on personality and preference? As believers, when we're correcting people or rebuking people, we should do it based on the word of God. Do you know what that is? It's the word admonish. It's when you're admonishing someone and you're aligning them to God's word. Otherwise, we'll have many debates based on, I like this, you like that. And no one will listen to you. Amen? All right? It says, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Right living has to be trained. We have to be trained for right living. The Bible says in Titus chapter 2, it says older women instruct the younger women in how they should live. Teach them how to love their own husbands. Not loving other husbands, right? It says how to love their own husbands, how not to be gossips. We have to be trained in righteousness. So my question to you is, are you able to use the word of God to rightly divide it so that you can train the people around you in righteousness? We have to know the word in order to do that. Can I hear an amen? Amen. All right. So are you using the word for all these things? The word should be our basis for rebuking people. I like Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2. It says, for we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. 
but the message they heard was of no value to them. This is so scary. You can have a group of people listening to the same message, and to one or two of them, the message is extremely valuable, but to the other, it was of no value. And why? The Bible is very clear. It says, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. The Bible tells us that everything you do must stem from faith. Amen? It says anything that is not from faith is sin. So when you listen to the word, listen in faith. There's some of you right now, you're listening and you're like, okay, we'll see if something will jump out at me. Some of you have come to church today maybe because of guilt. Hey, at least, at least I'm already here. I'm glad I made it. Whew, I don't feel guilty anymore. But some of you are listening eagerly from a place of expectation that God, you're going to speak to me. And I'm believing you, Lord, that whatever is preached is for me and my life is going to change because of this word. That's listening with faith. Amen. That's why you'll find in services, there's some people who will listen, but they've got a blank face and they're just listening to the information. Then there are other people you see, they don't have a blank face, they're really engaged, but there's a faith element. It's almost like you're prophesying to them. And they literally have this mindset of, yes, that's for me. Yes, that's for me. One of the things my wife will often do, uh, if she's prophesying over someone, and she's preaching at the Joburg Church today, that's why she's not here, but she's, she, if she's prophesying over someone, she might say, you know what, I believe Psalm 139 is for you. It's a, it's a passage of scripture for you, and you can get as much out of it as you want. And it's powerful when you get that type of word, because you then go to that passage of scripture, and you read it differently. Because you're saying, this is specifically for me, this scripture. And you start digging deeper, digging deeper, digging deeper. And how many of you know that God often speaks to you in response to questions you ask? That's one of the things I've learned. God often speaks to you in, re in response to questions that you ask. If you look throughout scripture, often God will say things to people, but it was after they had asked him certain questions. The Bible tells us that it's the glory of a king to search out a matter, isn't it? It's the glory of a king to search out a matter. If you've got that kingly thing on you, right, and you want to rise to greatness, search out matters. Don't just read surface level scripture. Go deeper. Study it in the Hebrew. Study it in the Greek. Say, God, I really want to know what this means for me. Right? So my question to you is, are you combining the word with faith? Is the word of value to you? How much are you getting out of the word? Years ago, Kenneth Hagin, the great Kenneth Hagin, he was in a situation where he said, Lord, I don't want to read the word unless I truly believe what I'm reading. And for a few days, he stopped reading the word because he wasn't sure, am I truly believing it like I know, like I know, like I know? All right? That's reading the word in faith. That's reading the word in faith. So here's a quick guideline for you. For every message that you hear, you can do these three things. The first thing is to do with head. Ask yourself, what does it mean? What does it actually mean? Right? This thing that this person is saying, what does it mean? That's to do with head. Everything starts with an H, so it's easy to remember. The second one is heart. Heart. What is God saying to me now? So it can mean something in the context of the time, right? What the author was saying to the people of the time. Then the second thing is heart. What is God saying to me right now? And then the third one is hands. What can I start doing differently in response? 
What can I start doing differently in response? That's why I love it when people speak to me afterwards or maybe two weeks later and they say, you know what, you preach such and such a message on such and such a date and I made a decision to apply it in the following way in my life. So there's head, there is heart, and there's hands. Does that make sense? Okay. You know, when you proclaim the word and you mix it with faith and eagerness, it's extremely powerful. Extremely powerful. The eighth shift, there's a shift in perseverance. Perseverance is a powerful word. In scripture, there's, a, there's an interesting word that I've taught on before, and it's the word long-suffering. And in the Greek, that's the word makrothumos. Do you remember that? Some of you will remember that, makrothumos. And makro speaks of distant or far, and thumos speaks of suffering. So long-distance suffering, staying power. Are you able to suffer long? In the physical realm, if someone does comrades, who's done comrades here? Maybe they're training or something. They're not here today. I know there are a couple of comrades people. But if you do comrades, for example, you need makrothumos. You need perseverance. A lot of it is very mental, isn't it? Not mental as in crazy, although some people might say, well, arguably, Paul, yes, it is. Why do people do that to themselves, okay? I was speaking to a guy the other day who's doing his first Ironman in a few weeks. And he said, yeah, people are like, you know, why do you pay to do some of this stuff? He says, Paul, when I'm doing my training... You know, to do a six-hour bike ride, just training like that. There's no time. You know, your behind gets very sore, right? You don't know. I don't know why some people do those things, okay? I admire them on the one hand. On the other hand, I don't understand them fully. But the point I'm making is they've got makrothumos. This thing of perseverance is also linked to resilience. Resilience. Resilience is what? What is resilience? It's your ability to bounce back, isn't it? Often we speak of resilience when we're talking about sickness, where we say, my child is so resilient, they lasted right through winter without catching the flu. Okay, that's resilience. My question to you is, how much flu do you catch? People, I'm speaking metaphorically. When you go to work and everyone starts coughing, do you start sneezing? When everyone starts complaining and whining, do you do the same? If we want to proclaim the gospel, we have to creatively be resilient because people will resist us, but we have to find creative ways of reaching them. Amen? Resilience is so important. How many of you like soccer here? Okay, I know there are more of you, right? But the point I'm making is, what is your favorite, if you watch English Premier League soccer, what is your favorite football player when they're playing at the home ground, their former home ground, what happens to them? They get booed, Right? And isn't it wonderful, despite the fact that they're being booed by people, what do they do? They still dribble and score. And it's wonderful to see that. Do you know that that's resilience? Resilience is your ability to block out the naysayers. If we want to proclaim the gospel with authority, with power, we have to be able to block out negativity. We have to be able to have people say negative things about us and they literally bounce off us. And the problem today is a lot of Christians are flimsy. They've got no backbone. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll do the same to you. Is a servant greater than his master? It comes with the territory. Do you know that being popular with people is not a sign that you're an effective Christian? In fact, Jesus said, woe to you when men speak well of you. Woe to you 
when men speak well of you, for so did their forefathers do of the false prophets. By the way, next Sunday, please don't miss it. I'll be preaching on how to guard yourself from false ministries. Okay, we'll be talking about that. And I'm hoping that message goes viral. Okay, based on the word of God. How do you, what's the difference between true ministry and false ministry? We'll be talking about that. All right. Um, But the point I'm making is the false prophets, people spoke well of them. Because they gave you prophecies that you wanted to hear. I'm just seeing money. I'm seeing dollar signs. Not just rands. Dollar signs all over you, my brother. They'll just tell you things that speak to the idols. You know that you can prophesy to the idols of people's hearts. You can actually pick up prophetically what the idol is in people's hearts. And the mistake a lot of people make is they prophesy that. Yeah, you will get it. As opposed to actually saying, you know what, my brother, I'm seeing greed here. You need to repent. (laughs) Okay, we'll go deep into it next week. But often false prophets will feed on the greed of the people and becomes a codependent relationship. Because the people are like, yes, yes, you're telling me what I want to hear. I want what you have and even more. And they'll prophesy that. And it's a nice codependent relationship. Okay? So beware of that. Beware of that. So we need resilience. We need to be able to have proper backbone. Resilience is the ability to cope in the face of difficulties and emerge from adversity stronger and more resourceful. How many of you have been through tough times in the last number of years? My question to you all who've raised your hands, have you bounced back more resourceful and stronger? That's resilience. Resilience is where you take your mess and you turn it into a message. It's where you take that place of difficulty and instead of becoming bitter, you become better. Amen? It's where you take your tragedy and you translate it into triumph. That's resilience. That's resilience. So when you go through difficulty, see it as an opportunity to bounce back. Now, how does this translate to proclaiming Christ? Look what Paul did. When Paul met resistance, he creatively was resilient In Acts chapter 17, verse 16 to 17, it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. How many of you know that Gauteng is full of idols? I feel that a lot of what we see in the media is idolatry. But my question to you is, how many of you in this room are greatly distressed by what you see in the city? It says that he was distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. So he saw things that he didn't like and it activated him to proclaim Christ. Some of you see things that you don't like and you're like, woe is me, I'm leaving. What are you doing with the things that distress you? So he reasoned in the synagogue as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. Now, those of you who've been with us for some time, you'll know that it doesn't mean that you're more anointed if you preach from a pulpit in a church than if you are preaching in the marketplace. Amen. And we are all in the marketplace in one way or another. 
So that's why we're talking about proclaiming Christ in society. And so he did that. So in Athens, Paul is distressed by the idols that he sees. What is distressing you? And does your sense of distress lead you or move you to act? It's interesting because it says he was doing this with those who happened to be there. Can you see that? It says he was reasoning with those who were in the marketplace, those who happened to be there. Do you know that there are people who happen to be there around you? They happen to be there around you, but God has actually sent them to you. You might think, I just met them by chance. God has sent those people so that you can proclaim Christ to them. But what do you do when you meet resistance? What do you do when you meet resistance? Are you resilient? You know, resilience is this. You continue to experience joy in tough times. You continue to experience joy in tough times. I think that's awesome. I want to show you how creatively he ministers to them. In Acts chapter 17, verse 24 to 31, I want to, I want to touch on, I'm going to read from verse 27. He's talking to these guys. He's reasoning with them in Athens. He says, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This is so important. Paul had mastered the art of transitioning an intellectual debate to preaching the gospel. He was literally quoting their own poets. Paul was aware of the language they would use. This is the same as you ministering to young adults and literally quoting a musician, a famous musician in pop culture that they like. And you take, a, not a scripture, you take one of the verses that this person sings and you say, hey, these guys even say this and I know you like this guy and you transition that into proclaiming the gospel. Can you see that's exactly what Paul did? Paul was au fait with the culture of the day. He was relevant to it. I might preach like I'm preaching right now, but the other day I was at a high school assembly and I had to adjust how I spoke to the students because it's students. I adjusted how I dressed because it's students, pupils, learners. Amen? When we proclaim Christ, we need to be relevant and not religious. And some Christians have to move from being religious to being relevant. Okay? Paul knew how big his God was. In Acts chapter 18 verse 9, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I want to ask you a question. Are you about to give up? I want to ask you another question. Have you lost your voice? I coach lots of people and I ask them that question. Have you lost your voice? And many people have said to me, Paul, I think I've lost my voice. I've lost my voice in my family. I tried to minister to them in the past, but I've given up now. I've lost my voice in the workplace. I've tried to minister to them in the past, but I've given up now. I want to encourage you, persevere. Those who truly make a difference, they persevere. Are my books bestsellers yet? They're not bestsellers yet. Am I going to stop writing? No. 
Why? At a certain point, if you keep doing what God has called you to do, you reach a turning point. And very often it's linked to being faithful with the small. Amen? Watch what was about, is about to happen. Watch how many go churches will explode in the nations of the world today. Watch the space. Because you see, God often tests us in our place of obscurity. Are you willing to do these things when no one is watching? For years, I was counseling couples. And they would say to me, Paul, this is amazing stuff. This is amazing stuff. I would give them my card games. You could sense the strong anointing on them. And I would say, when will the world hear about this? Then the TV show, the SABC thing, it came up. And we did that. And since then, I mean, each week, I'm getting email after email. Can you help our marriage? Can you? Pastors. You know, pastors, guys, people struggling. And the thing about marriage counseling, people don't announce it. You know what I mean? People don't go on Facebook and say, oh, we, we, we had wonderful input from Paul. Our marriage was on the rocks. Oh, yeah, my husband had been cheating. My wife had been cheating. But look, our marriage, you know, it's all under wraps. So people don't hear about it. Are you hearing me this morning? If you're faithful with the small... And you say, I'm going to do it anyway, whether I'm rewarded or not, whether people watch me or not. That's perseverance. What has God given you to proclaim? What's the context of you proclaiming Christ? For some of you, you're sports people. It will happen while you're playing rugby with your friends or soccer, whatever you play. Amen. Amen. Some of you are musicians. You proclaim Christ as you are playing that piano, playing that piano, playing that piano. And it's your talent. And don't, don't confuse talent and calling. Sometimes the talent opens doors for the calling. Maybe you're called to young adults. That's your calling, to minister to them. But the door opener is your talent. Maybe you're a musician. Maybe you're a good Christian rapper. Amen? Shift number nine. There's a shift in motivation and character. A lot of people are going out trying to proclaim Christ, but they've got no character. So there's no weight in what they preach. How many of you know that your character has to be able to contain the anointing? God's anointing, God's glory can actually destroy you. Look what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. Those of you who don't know that account, just read in the book of Acts, right? When the glory of God is strong in a place, the glory of God can destroy you if your character can't contain the glory. Amen? Look at Daniel. Daniel is one of the few people, one of the only people where nothing negative is said about him in Scripture. It's amazing. In Daniel chapter 5, Verse 16 to 17. Just look at the character here. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means. This is the king, right? But they could not explain it. Now I've heard that you're able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. You know what? When you're a person of character, God will open doors for you. Kings will come and they'll say, we heard about you. You didn't promote yourself. 
I said, you didn't promote yourself. But kings will come and will say, I've heard this about you. Because what you did was so excellent and you did it as a person of character. Now watch this. If you can read this writing and tell what it means, you'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around your neck. And you'll be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. So this is a gift that Daniel has that's, that's from where? It's from the Lord, right? And what is the king offering him? A reward, money, status, power. You know that there are many people today, and I'll touch on this next week, who are genuinely called by God. Daniels that God is raising up in this hour to proclaim his word. But unfortunately, when the devil came and said, we will give you this and we will give you that. They said, yes, please. Are you hearing me this morning? Go and study prophets like Balaam in scripture. I'll touch on it next week. I'm jumping ahead of myself. You can see that. How he compromised when King Balak offered him money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you're a person of character, you're not moved by gifts from people. You're not the kind of person who will say, I'll do this for these people because of what I will get. And this is a test. Anyone who's called by God, this is a test you have to go through. It's the test of being honored by men. And God wants to see, can I trust you that you look for the honor that comes from me before the honor that comes from man? Amen? And I find it very interesting because look what Daniel says. He, then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself. Isn't that so powerful? You may, give, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. I wish there were more people today like this. Amen. God can trust someone like this. This is character. Do you know that in the 17th, 18th century around then, people will be stepped down from being an elder. There's a particular church in the east coast of the states where someone was stepped down from being an elder in the church because of profiteering. They felt that he was, his markup was too much. They felt that he had a problem with greed. When last did you hear about that in a church where you hear that, oh, the pastor's been stepped down because he's too greedy? We need to go back to old school stuff. Amen. We need to go back to old school. This is character. This is character. Look at it in Daniel 5, verse 18 to 21. He says, Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Can you see that the way Daniel is talking about Nebuchadnezzar, he's recognizing that Nebuchadnezzar would never have received all these things unless it was God who gave him. Unless it was God who gave him. So he goes on and he says, those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted 
and those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Imagine saying this to the king's son. I mean, we've already got this unsaid rule, haven't we? You can't just diss someone's dad. Daniel is not afraid because he was straightened towards God and he was not bent toward man. And he just says it straight. Hey, your dad was promoted by God. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. I mean, would you even say that to a friend of yours? Hey, listen, we all know that your dad was given the mind of an animal because he was too proud. I mean, that's exactly what he's saying to a king. Just imagine going to the president and saying, listen, this is the issue you guys have. This is what happened to your dad. Now, now watch what he says. If that was not enough, he then goes on to say, he was driven away from the people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox. Right? Now, I'm sure the king knew that about his father. But it's like it's being reinforced. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. One of the major shifts of character we need today is to recognize that there's no one who's bigger than God. All these people we get intimidated by, you won't be intimidated by any human being. You'll respect them, you will honor them, but you'll know that the only reason they're there is because God has allowed it. You see people, they give a presentation to their colleagues and they're fine. The moment the CEO or some exec walks, into, walks through the door, <laughs> that's someone who doesn't recognize that God is sovereign, God is powerful, and the name of Jesus is above every other name. Amen? We need to give him his place in our lives. Our lives. In Daniel chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, he says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, you haven't humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. So all those things that he was telling Belshazzar, he knew that Belshazzar knew them. But he was just, sounds like he's adding salt to a wound, right? Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. And you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Ladies and gentlemen, God holds everything together. And you proclaim Christ with authority when you understand that. If you're still sheepish, shy, what will they think of me? Will they be offended? You haven't got this revelation of the greatness of God in comparison to man. Can I hear an amen? amen? So as we go deeper into integrity, what is integrity? The root word integer means whole, entire, complete in itself. Who am I when no one is watching? You can con people here in church, you know? And you've got your nice church voice when you come. Hi, hi. And the church voice is always higher. Have you noticed? Hey, hi. Right? Um, you've got your nice church voice. The opposite of integrity is guile. That's deceit. 
duplicitous behavior. You know, some people live double lives. They're one way in front of you. They're another way with other people. Literally, it's like they've got two worlds, two circles of friends. How many of you like that? You've got your Christian friends, and then you've got your worldly friends. And never the twain shall meet. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? When you, when you have a birthday party, you'll have one with your Christian friends. And then you have one with some dodgy characters. Why don't you group us all together and we can all come and we can all see everyone's behavior? Amen? Ah, no, my, my, Christian, my friends from church won't understand my other friends. So let me just keep things separate. Some of you, it ends up costing you a lot because you've got three sets of parties you have. One with your Christian friends, other one with your relatives because they're also a bit dodgy. And, <laughs> and you don't want people to see some of the dubious things that happen in your family setting. And then one with your worldly friends. Duplicitous behavior. Just be one person. Amen? So the, the, the antonym is this word, guile. It's, the within, it's being with intent to deceive. It's treachery. It's cunning, sly, dishonest, underhanded, misleading, counterfeit, insincere, scheming, and double dealing. I know you know some people like that. In John 1 verse 47, Jesus acknowledges Nathanael. And he sees Nathanael approaching him and he says, Here's a true Israelite in whom there is no guile. You know what you're saying? There's nothing false in this person. What you see is what you get. We want to be people of integrity. Who am I when no one is watching? Is the same Paul who's at home chilling with his kids, is that the same Paul here in church? Or is there a double life? I like what Andy Stanley said in The Next Generation Leader. He describes four things that speak of character. The first is self-discipline. This is the ability to do what's right, even if you don't feel like it. That's what discipline is. Discipline is deciding or pre-deciding what's best for you to do and then following through with that, whether you feel like it or not. And if you study the science of success, self-discipline is crucial. You know that sometimes talent is overrated. There's a particular soccer team. I'm calling it soccer, not football, because it's in the States. A particular soccer team, uh, which was women's soccer. And they were doing so well. They were winning match after match after match. And what happened was people said, the reason you guys are so good is because of these two stars. Some of you have heard the story. So of these two stars you've got. And they said, no, it's not. And those two stars ended up playing in the Orient in another tournament there. But the team still went on domestically to win that, that, that year. And people realized, wait a minute, what's the secret to your success? And guess what they said? Self-discipline, self-belief, and desire. What is desire? Competitive fight. What are we talking about? Where you're desperate to win. You've got that heart. Amen? And we see that in sport, but you know that it's, the tr it's true in life. What do we mean by self-belief? I'm not being humanistic here. You see, often as Christians, our mindset is, I believe in Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but we really believe in Jesus for other people. But do we have a revelation of Christ in you, the hope of glory? That Christ in me right now, when he lays hands on the sick, they will recover. There's a form of self-belief there, amen? I believe in Christ at work in me, not just over there, not just on his throne, amen? 
That's how self-belief translates to the believer. Right? Is everyone following this morning? Self-discipline. Self-discipline. Crucial. The key or the secret to greatness is hidden in your daily routine. If there's someone out there that you really admire, don't just study their peaks. How did you do this? How did you start your business? Ask them about their daily routine. Sipo asked me that the other day. We were driving somewhere and he says, what's your daily routine? Ask them what they do from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to bed at night. That's the secret to greatness. And a lot of it involves self-discipline because they're doing a lot of things they don't naturally feel like doing. But those things become success habits. Amen? They become habits for success. Many times people think, ah, no, it's just because he had a rich grandfather. Ah, no, it's just because he went to that school over there. But when you do the research, you see a whole lot of people who don't fit the bill in terms of what you think makes people successful. But you see that they've got continuous, they continuously do specific things that make them great. And the third one is desire. Desire. It's that heart. I want this. I want this. I want this. It's amazing what happens. Amen? So there's self-discipline. The second one, this is to do with character, is having core values. These are principles you live by that enable you to make a moral stand. Principles that you live by that enable you to make or take a moral stand. What code do you have? Do you have a code for, this is how I relate to people of the opposite sex? Do you have a code for, this is how I treat my parents? Do you have a code to, this is how I speak to my colleagues? Do you have a code to, this is how I relate to my boss at work? What are your core non-negotiable values? And what happens when there's a deal breaker? In other words, someone wants to do business with you. Do you have core values that determine whether you're going to do business with them or not? Can you see characters to do with self-discipline? It's also to do with having core values. And it's powerful when you translate this to your family life. When you have a family mission statement to say, this is how we function in this family. Because your kids will say, but we heard so-and-so using this word. Surely it's okay. Yeah, they, that's what they do in their house, but we don't allow that. Because we've got a different set of standards. Amen? The third core in terms of your character, is having a sense of identity. This is a realistic self-image based on who you are in Christ. You always live out your self-concept. You live out how you see yourself. If you've got a revelation that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, according to the Word of God in Paul's epistle, guess what? It shows in your lifestyle. If you don't have that in terms of your self-image and your identity, you will do other things. Amen? So sometimes we say to people, stop doing this, naughty, naughty, naughty. Stop smoking, stop doing this, stop getting drunk, etc. We say all those things, but until that person has a revelation of who they've become in Christ, the behavior won't change. Amen? If a girl doesn't see herself as worth much, she'll allow a guy to do anything and everything to her. Amen? Part of your self-esteem is a sense of self-respect. And that's why you can say, you know what? I'm going to walk out of this conversation with this bully because I respect myself too much. I'm not going to be spoken to like that. Amen? A lot of people don't realize that it's not just about studying 
the profile of a bully. You also have to study the profile of a target. There's certain people who get bullied. There are other people who are unbullyable. Amen? I was saying this to some parents recently. I was saying, okay, if your daughter was being bullied at her old school, now she's moved to a new school and she's still being bullied, don't just study the bullies. Also study the target. Because when you stand up to a bully, bullies are essentially insecure people who want to control you. And when you stand up to a bully, typically what does the bully do? They look for someone else to pick on. All right? It's so important to have a strong sense of identity when it comes to who you are in Christ. It's interesting when Paul was addressing sexual immorality that was taking place at the church in Corinth. What does he say? Remember, he talks about how stuff you guys are doing. This person has his own father's wife. This guy was sleeping with one of his dad's wives. All right? And what did Paul do? He exercised discipline, but what did he do? He addresses it from a place of identity. That's when he says, guys, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Amen. When you compromise in terms of character, the starting point is looking at identity. Looking at identity and getting deep into the word of God. Who am I in Christ? When you sort out that side of things, ladies and gentlemen, when you get up and you begin to proclaim Christ, it has weight, it has authority, and it has influence. Then the fourth dimension of character is emotional security. Emotional security. This is the capacity to be emotionally stable and consistent. The capacity to be emotionally stable and consistent. Have you noticed that with some people, people will say, is this person a nice guy? Yes, he's really great, but he's inconsistent. Yes, she's so wonderful, but at a certain point, I'm afraid she might just bomb out. Because in the past, she just bombs out on us. You know those people where they're fine, but you're just like waiting. What's going to happen? And the person just breaks down. Okay? And we're nervous around these people because they're not consistent. You sort of think, eh, this is the honeymoon phase. When is everything going to crumble? And have you noticed that some people only do certain things that defile them when they're in a low place emotionally? I want to encourage you, if you're not an emotionally stable person, get healing. Get healing. Speak to us. We'll counsel you. We'll minister to you. If we need to send you for professional help and so on. There's so many mental disorders people have. And there's no shame. Sometimes we can do deliverance. person is delivered. Other times it's just medication they need. There's nothing wrong with that, guys. On the African continent, and I'm not just speaking as a psychologist. I'm just speaking more as a researcher with what I see. But on the African continent, people are underdiagnosed. You know that there's certain mental imbalances, chemical imbalances, that if the person was just on treatment, person was just, you know, taking their medicine, they'll be fine. And we can be all spiritual and say like, ah, no, but don't you have faith, pastor? Don't you have faith? We pray for some people and nothing happens. It's okay to take the medicine for some time, all right, until you have your breakthrough. There's nothing wrong with that. There are a lot of people who are ruining families today where kids feel abused today. 
And then after being examined and so on, you see that the person has got, is, is, mentally things aren't quite right. Amen? Emotional security. When you're insecure as a person, it's very difficult to proclaim Christ with weight and with authority. Very difficult. So my question to you is, can I trust you? Can the person sitting next to you trust you? Are you credible? Are you a person of integrity? Are you a person of character? The tenth shift, there's a shift in anointing. You can go out and be proclaiming Christ, but it's not anointed. How do you know that you've been anointed to do something? It's easy for you to do. It's easy for you to do. One of the things about the anointing is it makes things easy for us. What is the anointing? It's God's power at work in you. Amen? The Bible tells us that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And because he was anointed, he did A, B, C, D. Amen? I want to ask you, are you yielding to the anointing? Or are you trying to do great things in the flesh? There's certain things that short-circuit the anointing. You know that. Things that short-circuit the anointing. Sometimes it's when we strive in the flesh. There are times when people can come up and we are praying for the sick. We are laying hands on them. And there's some people who receive, but there are other people who now want to press in even more and try even harder. There's a place to do that when you're interceding. But when someone is saying receive, you need to be in a posture to receive. Amen? And for some of you, you have to learn to receive. When you go to work, very often when I'm speaking and I'm doing a corporate talk, I will go into the auditorium beforehand. I'll pace up and down and I'll say, I'm welcoming you, Holy Spirit. May you be the dominant anointing in this place. Because I can, I, I can tell you right now, it's not my clever words that will change people. It's the anointing. It's the power of God. And we have to learn how to yield to the power of God. And let me say something else. Paul the Apostle says, for my strength is made perfect. He's talking about what Jesus said to him. My strength is made perfect in weakness. We only experience God's perfect strength when we allow ourselves to be weak. And for some of you, you have to learn to be weak. Say to the person next to you, it's okay to be weak. For some of you, you have to learn to make yourselves vulnerable. We had a powerful time at Josie Friday with the, the Joburg Church guys, and we were just talking, having deep conversation with this card game I've got. And people were just talking about how they, they, God is showing them they have to make themselves more vulnerable. That's where the anointing is. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't force himself onto you. If you're like, I'm going to take matters in my own hand, I'm going to strive, and you're full of anxiety. Anxiety is one of the quickest ways to short-circuit the flow of God. You see, in the supernatural, there's a rhythm, and there's a flow. It's like waves. It's like waves. That's why sometimes if I'm praying for people, I just say, just receive. Just drink like you're drinking water, and that's when the power of God touches them. Because it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what the person who's praying for them does. They also need to be in a posture to receive. Amen? 
So there has to be a shift in the anointing. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 to 23, and verse 27 to 28, you see that what Daniel did wasn't based on natural talent. Watch this in verse 19. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Now, this is key to his promotion. It's what I call prophetic advantage. And we have this as believers. Prophetic advantage. And some of you, you block out God when you go to work and you're not using this. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Can you see he's recognizing God as his source? This is so, so powerful. I'm hoping someone catches this. He reveals deep and hidden things. Right now, your company that you work for, is going somewhere. And in the next two years, there are things that are going to be happening there. Do you recognize God as the God who can show you things to come? Sometimes he'll show you for your own sake and you'll be basically saying, get out of there. Other times he'll show you so you can advise the decision makers. Are you taking advantage of this covenant thing you've got with Jesus where he can give you prophetic advantage? He's the one who reveals hidden things, things that are hidden. Do you know that it just takes you a few times? You could be last born. How many last borns do we have here? How many last borns? Just raise your hand. Ah, okay, okay, all right. Now I know. All right. You could be last born in your family, but just by having prophetic insight concerning certain family things, all of a sudden people are respecting you. Joseph was not firstborn. He was one of the youngest in his household. But what happened? God raised him up. He had prophetic advantage. Amen? And after a while, people begin to listen to you. Hey, what do you think we should do? Hey, what do you think we should do? I still remember years ago, in family situations, as a teenager or a university um, boy or young man, I remember we'd have these gatherings at my rural home and people would be wanting to do certain dodgy things and wanting to do that and so on. And I would speak out and no one would rebuke me. No one would rebuke me. Amen? He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things he knows what lies in darkness. There's a whole revelation here. And light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. And you have made known to us the dream of the king. He didn't say like what some people do, you know, prancing around. I can tell you this because I'm some wonderful prophet. And I can tell you because of my power. Praise me. Worship me. He didn't do that. Like some prophets today. Prophets in inverted commas today. Amen. That's, that, that's what sangomas do. Witch doctors, fortune tellers. It's self-glorification. I'm more powerful than that one. But we see that Daniel had hidden things revealed to him. But he recognized it was because of the anointing of God on his life. And he begins to praise God and say, Lord, I thank you so much. You've revealed this to me. And he was public about that. 
This wasn't something he just did in some corner. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been documented. He was public about it, that God would get the glory because God is the one who does it and reveals things to people. Amen? When someone knows things through a spirit of divination, like the magicians of Egypt, the spirit behind it is self-glorification and glorification of man. That's one of the ways you can tell the difference between false prophets and true prophets. Amen? I just find it amazing. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner. All those options, eh? Can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there's this guy called Daniel, me, <laughs> and I did it. No. He says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Can you see the different spirit there? He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. How did he show Nebuchadnezzar? It was through Daniel, but Daniel doesn't even mention his own name. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. I want to encourage you, pray for revelation for God knows all things. In Daniel chapter 1 verse 17 it says, To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So he was not limited to just understanding visions and dreams and so-called spiritual things. Daniel could understand the language and the literature of the Babylonians. How many of you know that God can give you an understanding of economics. God can give you an understanding of the health arena. God gave Daniel and his friends an understanding of the language and literature of Babylon. Babylon was the world power of the day. Babylon was not a kingdom that worshipped God. It was into dodgy stuff. But God supernaturally gave them understanding of the Babylonian system. Isn't that amazing? You know what this shows me? How many of you are studying right now? You're studying, you're doing a course, an academic course. You know what it shows me? As you are sitting doing your master's, as you are sitting doing your bachelor's, whatever you are studying, God can give you supernatural understanding of what you're studying. Isn't that amazing? And he can take your natural talent and he can augment it. And so you have a supernatural understanding. I've seen it with people. People who are average students at junior school. And now at high school, you see them flourishing. And you're like, what happened to this guy? And the way they explained to you, they said, it's like, it's like it just came together. It's like the penny just dropped. How many of you experienced that when you studied accounting? When you started off, for some of us, we didn't get that breakthrough, okay? For some of us, we, we kind of scraped through. But I know for some people, they'll say, hey, in my first year, I struggled. I just, it didn't make sense. And now today, you're a CA. Raise your hand. Right? Look at these people, great strict heads of amazing people here in this church. But they also started off struggling where the mind was dim. It was darkened concerning some of these things. Then at a certain point, the penny drops. How many of you know that that's God? That's God. He can help you. Involve them in your academic studies. Begin to claim scriptures. I have the mind of Christ. Some of you should have two PhDs by now. I'm not joking. 
if you've got the time to do it. Some of you should have two PhDs by now. That's the type of mind the Lord has given you. Amen? He can anoint you to understand not just his word, but to understand how the economy should be structured. At a wonderful meeting uh, the other day with Charlton, where's Charlton? At a wonderful meeting with him the other day, the wisdom he has concerning the healthcare industry in terms of medical aids and so on. I said to him, please, Charlton, at the next Ignite, we're going to pray for the healthcare system. I'd like you to share for about 10 minutes, just explaining to us and giving us nuggets of how it works. God wants you to be an influencer in whatever power center he's given you. But embrace him and his anointing in it. Amen? We shouldn't be the same as everyone else. The 12 Ds of world-class leadership, the stuff I'm talking about, the stuff I've got a card game on, I've got a book on it and so on, that was supernaturally given to me. Sometimes I'll find myself just literally sitting down and the stuff literally is downloaded from heaven, from the throne room in one go. Yes, I've done my academic studies of it, but the way it comes together, it's, it's, it's definitely from God. Some of you are good with your hands, you're creative, people like tabs, in terms of like architectural things and so on. You've got that thing and you know what I'm talking about. There are times things just come together just like that. There was a time recently I was speaking to Tso from the Joburg Church, we had coffee or something, we were talking, and he shared with me how in his former workplace they had a strategy workshop. And he gets up and he just had a blueprint of how things should be. And he starts drawing all sorts of things. And he said to me, someone came to him and said, do you know that people charge thousands for what you've just shared with everyone? It's like it just came to me. The blueprint came. Some of you are feeling me, right? You know what I'm talking about. But what happens is for some of you, this only happens one-tenth of the time. I want to encourage you, believe God to anoint you so it's happening all the time. Amen? In your life. Some time back, someone asked me a question. It was a particular person, a Christian in a workshop that I was doing. They said, how do you marry Christianity with work? Because work is practical. I explained to her, that you cannot separate the sacred from the secular. Can't separate it. God is interested in all of life. Amen? This person had a mindset where they thought Christianity is not practical. Work is practical. That's wrong. The 11th shift, there is a shift in favor. There's a shift in favor. Earlier on this year, I preached a series, The Technology of God's Favor. In fact, I think it was just one message. Was it one or two? Right? The Technology of God's Favor. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 9, it says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Why did Daniel experience what he experienced? Favor was shown to him and compassion. Who's showing you compassion today and it's not normal? You kind of have this feeling of like, what? This person shouldn't be liking me, but they like me. Amen? I've had people insist that I'm used to do certain things for their organization, but the person is an atheist. The person's lifestyle is something I don't believe in, but they do it. 
That's favor, that's compassion, and it comes from God. Amen? In order for us to proclaim Christ effectively, we need to figure out where is the favor? Where has God opened doors for us? And very often there's a door within that door. Some of you have heard me preach on this before. In the technology of spiritual promotion, there are doors within the door. If you go somewhere to watch a drama, to, to theater, when you go in, the first door you go through takes you to the foyer, doesn't it? Some of you are sitting in the foyer of your life. You're just chilling there. The show is happening, but in another room. But you're chilling in the foyer. And the only thing that happens in the foyer, there are bathrooms. You can buy tickets. Some of you have bought the ticket for your destiny, but you're not walking in it. There are doors within doors. Some of you are there. Oh, it's my dream job, pastor. And you share the testimony. And I say to you, this is just the start. There are doors within the door that God has opened. Amen? Doors of favor. Multiple favor. What are you doing with the favor that you've already experienced? Favor is to do with stewardship. Favor is to do with stewardship. I like something that Bill Johnson said. He said, every believer receives this favor from God, but we don't all recognize the additional dimensions of the charis, that's grace, that we receive. God's grace is also his operational power, the force of his nature. He gives us this grace to empower us to become like Christ. The issue of growing in favor is an issue of stewardship. Watch this. The real question is, what have I done with the favor God has given to me? What have I done with the favor God has given to me? And then finally, the twelfth shift. There is a shift in competence. If we want to proclaim Christ, we need to figure out, what am I good at? What are you good at? And in that context, you proclaim Christ. You see, many people are very mediocre in the workplace. Super average. And they're trying to proclaim Christ, but people don't respect what comes out of their mouth. Because they're not diligent in their work. They're not performers. Find out, what am I really, really skilled in? And in that context, proclaim Christ. Everyone has a skill. Everyone has a skill. Where do you shine? Where do you shine? In Daniel chapter 1 verse 20, it says, In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You know that today we've got magicians, we've got enchanters? Even in this country, a lot of people of influence, they get demonic counsel. That's why sometimes you wonder, but this guy is an expert in this field. Why are they doing this thing that is ruining the nation? It's because they're receiving counsel from magicians. They're receiving counsel that is demonic and destructive. Amen? Think about it. If you're a cabinet minister and you consult witch doctors and the witch doctor says, the reason you're not going to be deputy president is because there's that other cabinet minister over there and he's been doing dubious things, juju, against you. But they're fabricating lies. Of course, there's going to be a spirit of division in the nation. 
Amen? Just like there's a spirit of division in your family for that very same reason. You know what I'm talking about. I know where you come from. I know what they do. Amen? So what happens here is that he found them ten times better. Found Daniel and his mates ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Not about spiritual matters. You see, here's where we get it wrong. We're like, I know, yeah. He asked me about the Bible. I'm more clued up than the magicians of Johannesburg, than the magicians of Gauteng. Of course you would be. So here's my question. What question is the king asking you today? What question are the leaders in your industry asking you today? And my question is, are you 10 times better than the other people they've consulted with? If you study Christian history, in fact, if you study world history, some of the top scientists in world history were Bible-believing Christians. Your Michael Faraday's, your Isaac Newton's, all those people, some of the leading composers, Bible-believing Christians, Yet today, the people leading some of these industries aren't believers. We need to take something back. Amen? We need to take something back. And in that context of brilliance, people should be saying, can you give me an answer to this? Can you give me an answer to that? And they find us ten times better. Daniel's competence and gifting resulted in the kings praising God. Are kings praising God today because of your competence? Are you ready for the questions that kings might ask you? What are those questions, the questions on their hearts? Are you ten times better as you transform society? If God could do this with Daniel, who was an Old Testament person, what more does he want to do with you? Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, those are the 12 shifts we're believing God for. Let's pray. You're here this morning and you're in a place in your life where you feel, you know what, Paul, I want this in my life. I want this anointing. I'm in a space in my life where, yes, I believe in Jesus Yes, I want to proclaim Christ, but I don't feel the power of God in my life. You're saying, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I want to be 10 times better. I want my gift to be augmented by your Holy Spirit. Just stand where you are. If you're saying I'm studying and I want the mind of Christ, and I want to yield to the mind of Christ, Stand where you are. I want to pray for you this morning. Saying, God, there's more. God, there's more. You want the mind of Christ for your industry. You want the mind of Christ for whatever you're doing. Saying, God, I want more. Maybe you're afraid of people. You've kind of like put people on a pedestal. Leaders in the workplace. You freeze up. You're intimidated by them. And you know it's because you don't have a revelation of how great God is in comparison to the puniness of man. Just stand where you are. I want to pray a very strong prayer for you this morning.
pray with me please Lord Jesus I surrender to you anoint me with your Holy Spirit so that I may do great things so that I may be ten times better than the magicians of Gauteng I receive from heaven today I receive from you Lord today the things that have hindered my mind come and heal me come and break these things down I embrace and receive the mind of Christ in Jesus name right now I want to pray for anyone who's got mental health stuff and guys there's a continuum here someone can have can struggle with clinical depression come in, someone can struggle with some chemical imbalance someone can be in a place where sometimes they just black out whatever is affecting your mind you see sometimes spiritually for some people your mind has been besieged by the enemy and right now I'm going to pray a strong prayer that's going to break that stronghold in your mind let's just receive from God now just raise your hands to heaven maybe sometimes you black out sometimes you get anxious don't be ashamed these things happen there's no shame in the name of Jesus Christ we take back the minds of our brothers and our sisters and we say these minds belong to Jesus right now I speak to that chemical imbalance Right now, I speak to that anxiety that is demonically inspired. In the mighty name of Jesus, I break your power. You've got no hold over the people of God. I destroy you in Jesus' name. That negativity that has come upon you, that depression that wants to hit you, I speak to that demonic entity in Jesus' name and I say you're loosed completely. I go to the very root of this disease, of this sickness, of this ailment, of this infirmity. I rebuke you. You cannot touch the people of God. I break your power in Jesus' name. I speak to that covenant that was made that is causing this problem. Right now, I loose you from that covenant and I release you to a place of wholeness I say devil get your hands off the people of God their mind belongs to Jesus right now be restored to your right mind right now be restored to your right thinking right now be restored to a place of wholeness in Jesus in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, E-Family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget, we've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.